who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Hey, it's Mae Whitman, and I play Frankie in the new Realm podcast, The Sisters. The Sisters is about a museum curator of medical oddities who investigates the origins of a mutated skeleton with two layers of bones. Soon, she uncovers an extraordinary mystery that connects her present with one family's tragic past in hauntingly dangerous ways. Listen to The Sisters wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so I know you love Jess because you listened to last week's episode and Jess is fucking amazing. Um, real quick, a couple things. Real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I, I can see it's nighttime. I don't normally record uh, during the night. It's normally during the day and I'm in my bedroom and I can see directly into the opposing apartment's kitchen. Um, I've looked up this apartment this apartment doesn't make sense, and I'm not even going to try to describe it because I'm buzzed right now. Um, but I have looked it up on Zillow. It's like, I think about like $2.53 million listing, and it's gorgeous inside. And I've never like seen on the inside, and you don't care. You don't care at all because you're like, I came here to listen to fucking awkward sex. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. They just... <laughs> Was my window open? Could they hear me? It's like very close proximity. It's fine. And now I understand why I never see into their kitchen. <laughs> it's just so abrupt. <laughs> okay. Hey, number one, you're about to listen to part two of the Jessica Henderson episode. Number two, I'm buzzed. I'm sorry, guys. I I totally forgot I needed to do this intro outro. Drink a bottle of wine because, you know, COVID. Um, <laughs> just forgot. I just it felt so deliberate the way they they put down the shade that I think the window is open and they literally heard me talking about them. And it's fine. Like That's just like such a New York thing. It's so fine. Um, I'm so excited for you guys to listen to episode two. But what I wanted to say real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick, uh, for, I want to say people in New York, but it's probably more broad than that or broader than that. 
But literally before I went to go record, my friend who works in the service industry and is currently working at like a bar slash restaurant in New York City as we do this weird outdoor dining thing with vague, very vague rules. Um, and it's basically how small businesses are staying afloat right now because because why would Cuomo and de Blasio like do their job, right? Like as elected officials, uh, right, 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 right. Um, they someone left a one star review on on Yelp on Yelp uh, today about the fact uh, that um, everything that they were given was plastic and all single use and how awful and that their 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 hamburger wasn't up to par to what they're normally used to, bitch. It's a fucking pandemic, okay? We all are very aware of how much plastic is being used now and how much that sucks. But currently, that is the only solution that's been given in the situation, at least in New York City. I don't know what other countries are doing. I don't know what the rest of America is doing. But if you are that much of a fucking cunt or a fucking jackass, then you think it's okay to put a fucking one-star review during a goddamn pandemic in fucking New York City? Go fucking fuck yourself. That is all I have to say. I've also currently been trying to find this bitch because they put their first name and last name on on Instagram and Facebook um, and I'm literally just gonna find it and just write a comment that's like I saw your one star review period and like nothing else because Aaron was like isn't that doxing and I was like I'm not putting out their fucking like social security number or like their address or phone number I'm just literally commenting on a on a review they put publicly on now their <laughs> private or public social media. It's fine. It's fine. This episode's great. Just like the first episode, it's fun. It's introspective. You learn a lot. You listen a lot. It's cool. You're going to love Jessica's um, podcast when it comes out. We will do an episode takeover here when she um, launches her pilot episode. And I can't, can't, can't wait. Uh, This is truly the longest Again, one of my longest intro outros ever. And I, I blame, I blame the red wine. Enjoy, guys. Have fun. I think a lot of people don't realize that, that when you are uh, called out for something that is racist or just ignorant, it's because people actually think that you can take that and learn from that and change. And... um, but it's just never how people see it. They're just like, oh, you're attacking right. me. Oh, white privilege isn't a thing. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Or not even, I, I would say it's it's gotten much more nefarious than that. And I want to say, I, I want to be really specific and say that more than one comedian has done what I'm describing mm-hmm. to me. And it's not, it doesn't turn into, oh, white privilege isn't a thing. It's, it turns into, I know what you're calling me and I'm not that. Yeah. Ugh. And it's like, babe, no one is saying you are, but now you are. Look at your behavior. You, um, and that is when I'm like, white people, are you really willing? Are you really willing? Because that means that when somebody says, look, your, your joke is decentering people who are actually hurting and and um, faking issues that you that you don't have, and it's it's harmful. 
Because what you're saying is my temporary inconvenience is more valuable than these other people's lives. And I understand why you don't see that because you've lived in a world where it's been reinforced. So I I understand the mistake Mm -hmm. and I'm not judging you for the mistake. I'm judging you in your behavior right now after you've been told. And it's very telling. Yeah. And that, that is what, that's what gets people canceled. That's what gets people labeled racist, homophobic, uh, misogynistic, not the mistake because it makes sense that you're making mistakes. Mm-hmm. It, it makes sense. Um, and again, fuck you. Cause here I am being your psychologist and like figuring out an, an in and understanding why you would think it's okay. Um, yeah. And I, I feel sorry for, I feel sorry for a lot of creatives that are not willing to unpack their own um, supremacy right now. And another thing I'd have to say is a lot, I see a lot of white creatives, you know, coming out with these new ideas, new, new things to do in the quarantine. And, you know, they don't want to talk, they, they don't want to talk about politics or anything. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say like, are you really doing the work? You're not doing the work if you're not asking, am, is my voice needed right now? Am I saying anything different? I, it, it, what I, the responsible and the allyship thing to do if you have a platform isn't to then put your voice on the issues. Mm-hmm to give a voice to the people that have been talking about the issues. Mm-hmm. So no, Becca, I'm not interested in your black square. I'm not interested in your resharing of me and other black creatives. Well, I'm kind of interested in that, but like, I'm not interested in your like blackout blends days. You know what I mean? I'm interested in how you're deplatforming yourself. Mm-hmm to give a voice to other people. Like, what are you doing? If you're a rich creative, are you using your privilege to make creativity accessible for people of color? Like, hey, I'm a rich creative. I'm going to sponsor you. I'm going to give you $1,000 a month or I'm going to pay your rent so you don't have to worry about your rent. Like, there's power if we all decide as creatives that we're only as strong as our most underpaid member. Um, and it, it can't always be on black films to tell you how to do that. Or for, like the amount of work that I do for people that I know will never ever do it for me sometimes it's overwhelming or even how I think, like even now I think I'm, uh, I'm writing a script Mm -hmm. and I have had this vision over and over in my head, um, how I'm going to negotiate the deal and what type of creative I want to be in my future. And I'm always going to go about asking for money with an understanding that you're not just paying me. Mm -hmm. You 
are paying me, my ancestors, and my community. And if that check don't look like it, then you don't get my voice. You don't get our voice. Because the truth of the matter is, my voice is not only powerful because I'm a Black femme, but a Black femme and what stands behind me being that. Mm -hmm. And being gay. Like, you will always put me in a position so, so that I am able to live comfortably and also give that accessibility to other people. So I'm able to continuously donate to mutual aid funds. So I'm able to continuously uplift pe- people in my community, Black trans women. That is what you're paying for. You're not just giving me a cute little check because this is my first show and oh boy, I better be grateful. No, because you know what? I've been broke and I know how to do it. And that is more powerful than any check you'll ever write me. Yeah. I think a thing I learned recently from also a black femme. Um, I don't know their last name. It's their Instagram is like I, I, I Christy. And they had a really long, not really long. It was like a 30 minute video about um, like you were saying of like, it shouldn't be your voice. You should be giving like the platform to other people to have more voices um, and more space. And they went a little bit further and they're like, you need to be actively giving up like opportunities because you will always have exactly. opportunities. And that was a big exactly. one to swallow. And I was like, oh no, I, th- I need to start doing this. I'm not, I have, I've totally been sharing my platform, but I have not been giving away opportunities. And that's something right. I'm trying to really work on. And that's, that's the change, right? The cosmetic the cosmetic thing is like, here, be on my show. Here, here's $20. No, 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 no. Change. Real change. Look, here's Black Lives Matter on the street. Look, we're going to make it so it's going to be hard for people to ignore that this is happening. No, I want reparations. And I am not, and I am not ashamed to say that you need to, if, you know, I may regret, you know what? No, I don't regret this. I stand in my power with my ancestors behind me. And I firmly say that when I sell a show or I broker a deal, you are paying me reparations. Yeah. And you should act as such. Yeah. And also we should have state tax reparations, not state tax, right? It's just, it should just be true. Like it taxes. should be, um, yeah, it should be I I need to do more research, but I know that they're in Canada and Canada's fucked up too. Canada don't be treating their indigenous people right. Um, but they do have some sort of ta- like everyone is taxed for uh the indigenous land essentially that they take up and it goes back into the community. I may be re- misrepresenting that whole system, mm-hmm. but or, you know what? I take back what I said. I take back what I said because I need to be educated on more. And I spoke before I was educated. What I do know about is that Jews have actual foundations where the only thing that the foundation does or the main goal of that foundation is to track Nazi history in companies and have the companies pay to this foundation reparation, reparation payments to go back into the Jewish community. Holy shit. So don't tell me, do not tell me, do not tell me reparations can't work. 
Oh, yeah. They can 100%. Like, even the fact, like, our first stimulus shit, when they're always like, mm-hmm. oh, we don't have the money to do socialized health care. We don't have the money to do reparations. You found $3 trillion in, like, two fucking weeks. So don't fucking come with that, like, lazy-ass excuse. Like, we can do this. Even Watchmen, the fucking Watchmen HBO show, was like, here's how we're going to do reparations. And it made a lot of sense. Like, it's just like, yep, this is, yeah, you just you just don't want to because you don't think um, you don't think you had anything to do with it. And you don't think you in any way. But that's ignorance, right? Yeah, that's ignorance. That's ignorance. Read a motherfucking book if you don't think that the U.S. isn't still benefiting from from slavery. Also, read a book if you think slavery is over. Hello? Hello? The prison industrial complex. Hello, privatized prisons, a.k.a. plantations made of steel and brick. I mean, and like I will happily admit that I did not know until June of this year that the 13th Amendment still allows slavery in the prison con- like industrial complex like i knew prisons were bad and i knew it wasn't okay i had no so then what clue. do you do you make it illegal to be black and illegal to be brown because there are laws that are put into place knowing that they are going to disproportionately affect these communities thus putting the men the laborers in jail and making them slaves please please come on people Please stop it. Stop it. I want all of these families that are making billions of dollars on prisons. I want my money back. Victoria's Secret, I want my money back. All your bras are made with slave labor. I want my money back. Haynes Cotton, I want my reparations. Are you fucking kidding me? Bounty, Charmin, like I want my I want my cotton payment. I had um, right before I left the family that I was with off and on for like eight years, which, of course, that's such a recipe for disaster, blurred lines, a lot of emotional labor. Oh, yeah. No boundaries. No emotional labor. No boundaries. And I live with them. You feel irreplaceable and also replaceable at the same time. Oh, yeah. And uh, prisons came up. And um, so when I was a live-in nanny for them, so it was me, a white dad, and two white boys. And um, it was a lot. The last year was actually really, really hard. But prisons came up. Oh, it was weed. And I was like, because uh, they're, they're very anti-weed. Ah! And prisons came. It's so clear what needs to happen with weed. It's so clear. Speaking of which, I'm going to take a hit. Do it. It's so clear. <laughs> they, uh, they're, they're very, like, anti-weed because they have, I understand where they're coming from. They have, like, people with addiction in their family. Uh, someone died of a drug overdose, but it wasn't from fucking weed, right? Um. And so we were talking about how weed is becoming legal and how people are profiting off of it. And I was like, yeah. And so isn't that like really fucked up that like there's people in jail right now for like selling weed that like now people are making money off of? Um, And the the older kid was like, yeah, but it's still a crime. And I was like, but that makes absolutely no sense. And then I tried to explain to like for-profit prisons to them. And so I was like, look, it looks like weed will one day be legal. So what's going to happen to all the people that are currently incarcerated for weed? And the older kid was like, I don't know. I think they should still stay in. They still did something that was illegal. And I was like, but it's not illegal anymore. But that's why the system works, right? Mm-hmm. It's just this nasty, nasty, nasty thing that has masked as a, as in and repeated human behavior. So it, it's like, well, that's why I refuse to talk to people about certain things 
where they are like, well, it's against the law. I'm like, but what is the law? Yeah, you know. You dummy. What is the law? Harboring. Who makes the law? What is science? Who made science? Please stop it. Please stop it. Free yourself (laughs) from mental slavery. None but yourself can free your mind. (laughs) Or not to be a Jamaican-born child, but (laughs) like Bob Marley said it best. Or even just the fact that like they're going to hide behind laws when we've seen in history repeatedly that laws are inherently wrong and bad. And usually the shit that was illegal was like the right choice. So um, let me ask you this. Tomorrow, it's illegal to drink alcohol. Your dad still has a bottle left in the house. The DEA come and raid the house because they know your dad used to own bars. So he most definitely has alcohol still in the house. Your dad is arrested, thrown in jail, then kept in jail because he can't make bail because they can't sell the alcohol that you have because now it's illegal. 30 years later, some white guy decides, I have enough money and interest to re-legalize this. Alcohol is now legal. This white guy is making billions of dollars and your dad is stuck in jail, stuck in the system. And if he's lucky enough to get out, no one will hire him because he is a criminal. What the fuck you call that? Because mm. that's basically what happened. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like, um, like legit slavery. Yeah, so... Um, hello, hello, like, I'm sick of it. Yeah. I'm sick of it. And then white people love to be like, well, what do you suggest? I know that there are probably thousands of people that have dedicated their whole lives into rethinking this and you acting as if there aren't hundreds of thousands of black scholars that you can't call on. And pay. It's racist in itself. Yeah. And stupid. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Yeah. And I refuse. I refuse. I refuse. I refuse. I I refuse. <laughs> it's it's a lot. Like there's it's there's no other way to say it. It's a lot and it's it's stressful. Wow. And I hope I didn't I hope this isn't just like a stress podcast for everyone. Oh, podcast no. episode. For I everyone. think this is a great okay. episode. I think okay, it's amazing. Good. I think that's a lot of things people like need to hear. This, yeah, my listeners, I've I've noticed are very are definitely very liberal, and I've also been like, if you aren't liberal, like, why are you on my fucking podcast? Like, why are you listening to this shit? Yeah. Um, because uh, that's another step too. Like, when white people, a lot of white people start white nighting, and they come to me, and they're like, listen, listen to all this fucked up shit that white people are saying, and it's like, babe, I would like you to unpack why they even felt comfortable enough to be thrown around their ignorance at you because you're, you're part of the issue. Mm -hmm. If they're comfortable, nobody, anybody that is racist or problematic right now should be feeling uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And if they're not, I, I, I'm like, I don't want to be in that environment. I don't want to be a part of it. I just listened to one of my closest friends repeatedly make excuses for a person in our friend group 
about like, well, yeah, but you know, you know that he's not emotionally intelligent. You know that he doesn't, he's not really empathetic. You know that he's a little off like that. Like we never know what he's thinking. And I'm like, that's a problem. It's a, it's a problem. Yeah, it's a big problem. It's a problem. And why am I yet again being asked to understand, be understanding of the oppression that I'm telling you I'm feeling? And not even that, like to, to so that, but also the fact that no one will then listen to your oppression. Like you're expected to listen to some, some like white woman or white man. And it's like, you should just stop. You should just stop being friends with them. Like, because that's just how they are. And it's like, oh, I think you're missing the point. I'm telling you I'm not. And I'm telling you now we're not, if you're okay with this, Mm -hmm. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think that's a big point people miss again with also like call outs and stuff. Yeah, like I'm being your friend right now and this is a call-in. I'm telling you, this person that's in, whether or not I'm directly close to them, they're in this circle and I'm telling you as the oppressed that this person is being oppressive and it is your job as the ally that you've labeled yourself to engage and not to engage with me telling me to be understanding. Yeah. Get your friend. Yep. Get your friend. You even just posted something on Instagram about like like it was like nine or ten things that uh, white people are doing that like oppress people wrong they're doing yeah. wrong and it's like one of them's like calling yourself an ally like it's just it's not a thing it's not like we're all part of the problem if you are white you are part of the problem and you can be a part of the change um, right but you can't start even being a part of the change until you like admit that like no like you grew up in a system that rewarded you for the whiteness of your skin and like these systems and. That's you just you have to be able to like and I think a lot of people get caught up in like it's a supremacist tool to only think of yourself as one thing and to think that you're racist then you think means to think that you're a bad person you've never done anything good for anyone and you've always been bad Mm -hmm. and that's not the conversation Mm -hmm. that's not the conversation that's not the conversation no one's saying oh, you've done this racist thing, so now void out anything good you've ever done. Mm-hmm. I'm asking you to look at your behavior now. See, see that it's harmful and change. What a beautiful thing that you get to change. How many Black people didn't even get a right to dream, let alone change? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, sit with that. So make you, make- that's your privilege. Your privilege is that you will be able to your privilege right now as a white person is that you are most likely to survive the civil rights movement. And what we have are thousands of black souls. Literally, I'm going to start crying. We're like screaming on the top of our lungs, our wills and testaments. Like this is what we want to happen. This is the change that we need because if we don't survive this, you have to take the information. And what a blessing. You will probably be able to survive this civil rights movement. That doesn't, that's not the same for us. It's not. And you need to understand that. And it's, it's hurtful when you don't. Yeah. I hope that, I hope like my listeners are like listening to you say that too. And just like really, I want you guys to get really uncomfortable. It's the only way you, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not really listening. And, and discomfort is, 
the only sitting in discomfort is the only place where where we'll get growth. It's and discomfort has been successfully. Um, it's like a folklore, like a fairy tale. We've been told our whole life, like, if you're uncomfortable, you're in danger. If you're uncomfortable, you're in danger. If you're uncomfortable, you're in danger. Immediately label yourself as uncomfortable and get out. And I, again, it's, it's the black and whiteness of everything is a supremacist tool. The total, like, for those of you that need some sort of relief, just think of it as white diamond. And And she literally, when she cannot handle the information that she's been told, she literally seeps inside the gem and takes all of its color. That's crazy. Like, And makes it black and white. And that's what we're doing to our own movement by isolating our feelings and isolating information that we're told and not understanding nuance. Yeah. This is the most... I want like you to write a book about Steven Universe, <laughs> like what Steven Universe really is. <laughs> yeah, oh, Steven Universe, what a gift again. And it's from a queer person. Mm-hmm. It, what a gift. What a gift. And again, it's like these wills and testaments. Like, and, and that's what, what creatives are doing as well for society. Like we're literally writing our will. We're trying to write our will. Like this is the impression that we want to leave. This is, this is the information. These are our, you know, it's so funny to me that we live in the glorification of the conquerors, but we learn about what the artist left. Like that's what tells us the most about a civil civilization. It's not, even when you think of like Caesar, it's not like Caesar's writings. It's all of the art created about him that we look at for history. Mm-hmm. And that's another reason why Hollywood, these things have to burn. Like they're responsible for the reason why we keep doing the same shit over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to burn it down. I, yeah. I want to burn it down. I want to create a, um, something that when I leave it behind, it gave birth to so many positions of power, th- like from all the way from, like, I want to own a dispensary slash plant shop. Oh my God, amazing. And I want to, you know, I don't want to be like, just stay the CEO of that company. I want it to be something where there is a like QPOC in charge, like, they're in charge of that. I want a production company. I want like an ABC and a network that someone who's head of network that matches what the rest of the country looks like. Why are they not reflections of society? And I've always never understood why no one wants, why so many people don't want to see that either. Like that's always what, well, no, I take that back. But once I moved to New York, I was like, yeah, like I want, I want this to look like, like you said, like the world around me. And again, that goes back to just being like these inherent biases that we are taught over and over again. It's fucked up. It's also, it's all, that's another thing. That's what they mean when they say that it's systematic. Why? And you should also be asking yourselves, some white creatives, some of you I know went to grad school. Why did y'all have to pay $300,000, $400,000 for a PhD, for MFA, 
And the person who ultimately decides whether or not you're worthy of being on TV has a master's degree in business. That don't make no sense. Yeah. Or no degree, just connections. Yeah. Why is it the person who is hosting the show got that job through connections, but now I need to come to the, to the mat with like a $300,000 voucher that has an Ivy League school credit um, I, I, I'm writing. Or this is another prime example. I got an email calling for specifically by POC people for a TV writer's assistant position, okay, that required a minimum of two years of TV writing experience. That, that's too much like stupid. Yeah, like that's too much like stupid. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? No, it's bullshit. Or universities, when they have, I'll, I'll shout this university out right now because I don't give a fuck. I went to University of Northern Colorado, and they have been called out multiple times for their systematic, problematic, racist behavior. And now they want a task force. No, you don't get a motherfucking task force. Force. Also, educate yourself. Task force or another supremacist tool where institutions are able to keep everyone in power. Then again, ask marginalized people for more labor in organizing a reform that they have no intention on doing. And then they will put it on the marginalized people to go back, run that back to their people and say they can't do it. And here's why. It's like when it's a joke. Yeah, it it's a joke. I was we there was a whole group of us discussing what to do next and I was specifically called in and also told on the group chat. They were like, "We don't have the jurisdiction to ask a professor to step down." And if that isn't going to the mountaintop and running back and delivering the bad news through a marginalized person, I don't know what the fuck that is. The fact that you even think it's your job to understand the university's legal obligations to their teachers is you being in the pocket of the oppressor. They figure that out. Mm -hmm. You demand change. That's their problem. They're the university that fucked up and gave a problematic professor tenure. Now what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. Why is that a thing? Why, how, why is that a thing? Again, it's to make sure specifically white men can stay in positions of power without being held accountable. That makes no sense. That, that makes no sense. So once you have tenure, you can just go the fuck off and be abusive to your students and be problematic. That doesn't make any sense. You ask for the change that you want to see, and it's the oppressor's job to do it. Also, you do not have a single person of color, let alone black person, on your staff. And you're hiring a task force. You've already fucked up, boo-boo. Someone should be stepping down. Someone should be stepping down. People of color should be stepping in. And I'm not interested in talking to University of Northern Colorado till I see a black professor on that lineup. Because y'all have been told since I went there in 2008, 
and caused a ruckus. So, no, I don't believe that you want change because you still haven't stepped down. Yeah. I mean, you said it perfectly. It made me mm-hmm. it made me think of how I'm pretty sure my only I think my only black teacher including elementary school, middle school, high school and college was my African studies professor. And that was, yeah, and honestly, what a rare occasion. I know. Um, They're normally white. I I another mom I babysat for was a white anthropologist for African studies. I can't. And I will I, I will totally admit I had no clue that that was a problem when she was telling me about I it. I can't. I can't. I'm always like, wait, what? Whenever I see it, I'm like, make it make sense. I took an anthropology class in at University of Colorado and there's a white man and I failed the class. I never went because I was like, wait, what? What? No, I'm not going to this class anymore. And that's another thing, another argument that I hear um, for, specifically from University of Northern Colorado um, that I heard from David Grapes, who's no longer head of the program, is black professors are in high demand and they cost money. So basically they go to the highest bidder. And if that isn't literally uh, like you isolate that conversation and you basically say to me on this plantation, we can't afford the prize Negroes. So we stay in charge and we keep you oppressed. Because at the same time you're saying this to me, I know that I'm getting outfitted, outfitted, well, outfitted for a $3,000 headpiece for your production of Queen Lear. Like, sometimes But you're telling me all the black professors are going to University of Colorado because they have more money. No, the money's there. You, again, don't want to give it up. You don't want actual change. I refuse to believe that it, it's just, it, it just doesn't make sense. Like I, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I saw what David was able to do for students that he liked and it was a lot. Mm-hmm. And they were almost always white. And if they weren't white, they fit the black mold. They fit the, they were very much a model minority. And you can't tell me that you can't take some of those, those scholarships you gave all those pretty girls that worked in your office that were $1,200 a semester. You did that for about three women every year. And hmm, that's probably about $5,000. Let's say you save for two years, that's $10,000. Okay, uh, you, you're telling me you're at, the average professor starts at around 50, 60. Well, now that puts you at 70. You, you pull from a couple other places. Let's say I don't wear a headdress that costs $3,000 when I'm only on stage for a total of five minutes. Um, okay, now we're at 73. That's a good chunk of change. Mm-hmm. That's a good chunk of change. And you have a whole program for theater education that you've had some black students go through that you could pull right from graduation into a job. And that is the change that I want to see. 
And that's what I demand. And if you're not doing it, I'm not here for it. And I'm not being mean. It's called accountability is uncomfortable. You need to be held accountable. And you need to be held accountable without making people do the labor for you. Or if they're going to do the labor, you need to pay them. My response, I I'd actually, that's a lie. I was going to say I asked if I was going to get paid to be on this task force. That I did not ask. I automatically knew. Like you got, you were sent a letter that literally got gentrified before it got sent to you. Mm-hmm. And now you're coming up with a task force. Mm-mm. You should have a motherfucking plan. Task force. Task force is out of trend, honey. <laughs> task force is 2010. Yeah. Read the room. I, I'm sorry. I'm not here for it. And I'm not going to... I'm not going to, I can't lead a revolution or I can't lead change or be the change I want to see if people don't want to change. And I am, I am for, for my own sanity, I am for everyone's level of comfortability in this revolution. Mm -hmm. My caveat is take responsibility for your level of accountability and I'm going to let you know where my level's at and I don't, that's what I expect in my life. So I will continue to say what I want to say from about Northern Colorado with love. Mm -hmm. And that university needs to be held accountable. They need to be hiring POC professors and that they should have made that very clear. And it should have already been happened. And you have a long, sordid history of problematic professors and problematic behaviors happening. And you should be, as far as I'm concerned, if you have a PR firm, you guys should be working on, on the uh, offense. Like, you're stuck in defense as if you haven't been playing this game for at least since I've been there. I got there in, in 2010. And there was fuckery amok. Mm -hmm. And I very quickly realized like, oh, I'm not going to get put in these plays if I'm not willing to basically just be different versions of Raisin of the Sun and the Sun. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Oh, and me sticking up for myself is going to be called being surly, being rude, being disagreeable. I had a professor... Um, his name is John and he, I was behind in payments for, uh, New York showcase, mm -hmm. which showcases a university. That's a whole nother thing that I'm like, what is that? Like, why aren't we all speaking out against this? Like if I've learned anything in my 10 years out of school mm -hmm. is that showcases are just another way to ba basically make you get into a pageant. <laughs> Yeah. Basically make pay to pay to be in a pageant um for people who who really are just coming for free wine. <laughs> they have you know what I'm saying? They have no intention. They have no intention and, of assigning you or like advancing your career. Yeah. Yeah. And and anything that happens is an exception to the rule and nine times out of ten, it's because that student was working hard on their own and outside of the showcase. Mm -hmm. Or a professor was working hard for that student outside of the showcase and on 
their own accord. Um, I was behind in payments, negligent. And um, it was because I wasn't working as often as I normally would because I was cast in uh, a David Graves production. And he and a lot of professors, I understand that this story is not, um, this story is pretty universal. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't, I I thought for a second, ooh, do I want to say their names? And then I realized that your secrets won't save you. Hello, Audrey Lord. Like, and I say their names with love and accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, he was notorious for not giving a fuck about time. So say you only were needed for five minutes on stage, you'd still be called for that rehearsal from 7.30 to 10.30 at night and be expected to be there. Um, so I, I didn't, I wasn't working as often and I was behind and everyone else was on time and we were about to go. And I think I had like over half of my account. It was, it was not great. Mm-hmm. He texted me at like four in the morning, calling me a horrible person, saying that I ruined the showcase, all of these terrible things. And I was so devastated oh because I believe what he wrote down. I believed And I was so devastated because I was like, oh my God, I have to tell someone. And when I tell someone, I might be the reason why this person loses their job because this is so not okay. Mm -hmm. I told David, I showed him the text. And to do a callback from earlier, I was told to be empathetic, to be understanding to understand that that's how he was, to understand that he was going through a hard time, to understand that he was a little stressed. And this time of year, he always gets a little stressed. That's what I was told. How old were you when they when he sent you that text? Um, 21. It's a, I was devastated. Yeah. I was devastated. And I had a scene partner, um, Ariel Yoder at the time, and I went to her and I was like, you know, I can't do, I can't do a showcase with a man that just spoke to me like this. Like I have to have some self-respect like, and unfortunately she also was miss, like as we both were misinformed about our rights as human beings Mm -hmm. and was very much of the, like, I understand if you have to do this, but like also what a terrible position you know, she didn't speak up for me. Mm-hmm. And I know that she probably looks back on that and her stomach flips. But I also know that she's a wonderful person. Mm-hmm. And she is doing what she can to unpack her white supremacy and, and do right moving forward. Mm-hmm. She's no longer worried with being labeled as racist because she understands that she has been. Mm-hmm. And I also wish that white people understood that that's, that again, another way that we get shattered and put back together is like by lying to ourselves that it's that us learning is coming from outside. Like, no, that's like, that's a piece mm-hmm. of, that you can give back to yourself is telling yourself I have been racist. Yeah. That takes, that takes away the power that takes away the shame from ever getting called out as one. It's like, yeah, I have been, and please tell me what I can do better or don't tell me what I can do better. I'm in a, I'm researching. Thank you for letting me know yet another thing that I need to work on. Thank you. Yeah. 
and I am working on it. And it's something that more, I think more white people, and I myself am trying to be more vocal about this, but just out loud saying multiple times, yes, I have been racist around their white friends to show that like admitting this truth uh, doesn't kill you. I don't know, like whatever they're afraid of, like it's just. Yeah, it doesn't make you racist. It doesn't like it. And what a blessing. Like Mm -hmm. I have this book called The Seven Arrows and it's an indigenous book and it talks about the medicine wheel and it talks about your shadow self Mm -hmm. and essentially how your medicine wheel is your fulfillment of who you are and your shadow self is everything that can be deemed as bad, negative. And it's uh, someone that you get to learn know, understand, and love. And when you do that, it becomes something of armor, not a weapon against you. It's armor. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not going to destabilize me by calling me jealous because I know that I have jealousy. Mm -hmm. So that ain't it, boo. I'm not going to get baited by that. You understand? It can't be used as a weapon against me. You're not going to throw me off guard by saying that I get aggressive. Like, I know that I have aggression on my side. And I know that she's, she has wonderfully h- highlighted my boundaries when I didn't understand what they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I asked what age you were when you got that text because I, I don't even think I knew what a boundary was, let alone when my boundaries were being crossed at 21. Like how to be that so, young and to get I, that text. <laughs> So thank you for asking about that. I'm sorry. I don't know what kind of time limits, but I'm just having the best, like the time of my no. life. Like, let's just talk. All you want to talk. And I love this. Fix it and post. Like <laughs> they can do whatever. Um, I uh, always had, again, I feel like I was born a crystal gem and I was born I think you're garnet. extra. Oh, that's really sweet. I really think you are. Um, I I don't see it because you have it's like when you said you when you're um you are an Aquarius a Virgo and was it Cancer Cancer or Scorpio Pisces, Pisces. so you have the emotional side um now I'm blanking on our names and then you have the very like practical it's Sapphire and Ruby mm-hmm. like Ruby's very like uh like grounded mm-hmm. Ruby's very of Earth oh 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 Sapphire oh. and then Sapphire's very like emotional and in tune yeah and then the fusion of that is uh is like creates garnet which like creates you wow I see I do see that uh I, I will say that I feel like I was very much the child of the ancestors mm-hmm. That they were like, okay, this is the one. She's going to be the one. She's going to be the one that hears us and actually turns around and is like, hey, hi, hello. (laughs) I hear you and see you. Like, this is the one. And I, so I feel like I was hardened. So I constantly had to get Mm reshattered, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, I was constantly like pink, like, like constantly being told to like re-educate myself. Mm-hmm. And then the only way to sort of do the right thing was to literally abolish the idea that I had in my own mind of who I was and also my parents' expectations, like literally abolish them. And I 
was constantly being, I always questioned, like, and I was always getting in trouble for it. Like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. Like, even in the beginning with my parents, my parents all the time would say, like, we're not doing that because we said so. And I'm like, but who are you? Like, who are we? Like, what do you mean you said so? Like, what, I, I, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Emotionally, it feels like some sort of block and like things are not being talked about. Um, when I, you know, was in high school and I was constantly being told about my fatness and like, oh my God, you're so beautiful despite, despite of. And I, I would always be like, wait, why are people apologizing to me about my experience when I feel fucking fine and I know I look good? So, and, and that, through some years, especially when I wasn't out, I sort of took on that same belief. Mm-hmm. I started to believe like, yeah, I should apologize for the space that I take up. Um, and, I, you know, I, when I was at University of Colorado, I was always kind of like, uh, I don't agree with that or, oh, I don't, I don't want to do this or, oh, it doesn't make sense. When I was going up through UCB too, I was like, these systems, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why am I, you make money off of me performing, but I don't have a, a monetary uh, representation of that. Mm-hmm. But you want me, it's so funny. It's like everybody wants you to believe in this goodness. Mm-hmm when they're not believing in goodness too because goodness don't pay the bills. It the UCB the myth UCB and the pit cuz I came through the pit I think cuz it was like a little bit cheaper. The mm-hmm. myth that they taught us that it was two things it was like well there's a lot of things. It was like there's only room for a certain amount of people. It's going to cost money and we can't pay you is the reason like the moment But that don't make no sense. No sense. The re- the moment I got awkward sex in the city out of the pit and got into a venue that paid me it was like mind shattering that they were like, yeah, we're going to pay you 80% of what you brought in for us because you made us money. And then I was like, oh my God, that means I can now take these people that are working for me and now I can fucking pay them. It was just like, I could never go back. I could never go back to what- Just the the myth. Or like you're paying for, you can't even cover a coach fee. No. Or a tech. Or or space. What? Who, where is the money going? Because it's going someplace. It's going someplace. And you know what? I just found out that a lot of those um, Assery Cats shows, <laughs> yeah, the Assery shows, was really Assery because sometimes those performers got paid. And there's one performer out of that four specifically that gets paid almost six figures to perform. And what I want to say is defund the four and fund the school. That's what I haven't. That's what I haven't gotten at all. Was just like every person that is a founder of it don't UCB, make no sense. They are all working. They're working actively, making great money. It made no sense. It also just doesn't make any sense. You've been around for so long. You've been around for so long, and you don't have any money to show for it. But the the image of it does. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Like, oh yeah. You you. At, for the performers, for the community, have no money to show for it, but you can point to all of these famous performers now that are fucking rich, that have money, mm-hmm. and and they're crediting it back to the school, and also you don't have no no alumni situation going on. 
that seems stupid. Or the fact if the school has done so much, yeah. Or the like Amy Poehler talks about in her book, and I loved her book when I read it at first. I wasn't like as aware of UC like UCB's like fuckery, but she talks about how they made UCB to be this like fuck you to the system that was creating them to be poor creatives. And then that is literally what they did to thousands of It just doesn't artists. make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And it's not about me being angry or thinking anything of, of, of anyone. It's not about a label. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's not the conversation. Like, oh, but look, like we have a community, there's love. That's not the conversation. The conversation is what's on paper now. And it just, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense that you're not paying people. And it, it just, it, what is, what is it if it's not exploitive? Like make it make sense. Yeah, exactly. Make it make sense. It don't, what are you, what, uh, you, <laughs> you know, like, what are you paying for? You don't pay nobody. Exactly. And even the people that are, are paid are like, don't talk to me. I'm barely getting paid, but I deserve to get paid. So it's like, it, it, what, what's confusing to me is like, everybody wants to be like, don't talk to me. I'm also being oppressed. Don't talk to me. I'm also being oppressed. Don't talk to me. I'm also being oppressed. And it's like, okay, but who, what's the common denominator? So why aren't we all looking at it together? Well, it's not like a tactic too. It's like they, they mm -hmm. try to use race to divide people, but really it's poor against the rich. Mm -hmm. um, there was a book. Ugh, Keisha Zala recommended it to me years ago. Um, I can't remember it now, but it's all Hey Keisha. No, I had no clue she wasn't getting paid when she. I had no clue because she was like di the di no. I knew I knew the sketchiness around it, and that was yet another reason why I was like, I really don't understand how people can look me in the face and tell me that I should be auditioning for a house team because it don't make no sense to me. Because all y'all seem unhappy. Yeah, it seemed miserable. The whole process of it seemed miserable. And then the fact that to get on this house team then meant you got the auditions and then meant you got the the high maintenance recommendations and then you got this, this, and this. It was just like- Yeah, but you could be getting those recommendations by having a good quality of life and meeting people. Mm -hmm. You don't need to pay all that money. You don't need, like, you don't- I was never, ever, ever on a house team. And I would say that I benefited- from all of the social perks that you get from being on a house team. Mm -hmm. So it's a myth. I it's a gatekeeping myth. Totally. And it's hard to sit around and watch people believe. It it's like we all have these dog collars on and there are these invisible fences that we feel the temporary shock when we go against it. And it's like, see, look, it will kill us. And it's like, no, if you come with me, it's going to be uncomfortable mm -hmm. till we get through the barrier. Mm -hmm. But you'll see that actually it's boundless and this is an invisible fence. That reminds me of just like how like in it, it just UCB and the Smith seeps into you. Last year, like right before Christmas, I was telling Aaron, I was like, I really wanna get back into writing. I can't find, I can't find that thing. And so he actually got me a writing like class for UCB for whenever I wanted it. Mm -hmm. And then UCB imploded, but then everything happened. And I learned by, a, by this forced, stop this uh forced break in, in comedy and just my life in general i learned that the reason i wasn't able to write was because i was miserable within the constraints constraint constraints and constructs i had put on myself like working for a live-in family in connecticut and not feeling appreciated or getting paid enough um 
working too much at Trader Joe's and trying to be funny and write new stuff. So the moment, like you said, that the quality of my life changed, all of a sudden writing is the easiest thing to do now. Mm-hmm. It's all, like you're a thousand percent right of just like you have to get down to the quality of life and like doing the work inside of yourself because it was it was a lot of work. I physically stressed for my parents, gave me uh, migraines for five months straight. I didn't know what was going on. And then I learned that it's literally I was it was happening to me and I didn't even realize it mm-hmm. until you do the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much it, it used to always sort of frustrate me. I used to be addicted into enlight. I used to be addicted um, to enlightening people mm-hmm. and obsessed with being like, see, see, <laughs> like that was, if I could describe my life from 2004 to 2017, uh-huh. With me being like, see, <laughs> see, I told you so, see, see. And then I realized that that was, yeah, that was like an emotional addiction I had, right? To being able to say see, but not say it to myself. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I came at UCB at the beginning of the see being like, see, mm-hmm. like to, to me mm-hmm. and be like, oh, no, 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 girl. Like you, you're right. You're right. You're right. Look, 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 look. See, <laughs> it became much more private, mm-hmm. and I feel like that is truly what saved me. Like, don't, don't feel like you feel. There's no denying the power of being on a UCB stage and having a fucking stellar performance. That shit is addicting. I have done the shows. I've done hearing queer. I did. We will slay. It is seductive oh it is so much fun Mm -hmm. it is honestly like a a portal to to a different reality when it goes well it's also powerful powerful group mind and i could akin it to a wrinkle in time when they get close to the brain i've never read the book or seen the movie i heard the movie wasn't good Okay, the, the the movie, I I will not speak against black creatives right now, but I like the book much more. <laughs> I like the book much, 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 much more. And I do think that when you're playing the Hollywood game, you got to pay different tolls. And sometimes that takes like a creative toll. And I'm not against. I'm not against the artistic interpretation mm-hmm. of the movie. It is not the message that I got from the book. It's just it's different information. The movie is different information than the book. Mm-hmm. And I think the information of the movie was the power of a black woman getting a blockbuster idea and doing the movie. Mm-hmm. And that's what I see it as. Period. I'll put it on the list. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. There's also like um, people that I was like, I don't know if I fully trust your opinion. You know. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I have to be honest. And again, it's a tool of white supremacy. Good. Was the movie good or bad? And if I was do, using the white supremacy tool, I would be like, yeah, the movie was bad because this, this, and this. But that's, you have to look at that piece of art for what the message was. And to me, the message was a black woman can, can get the bid. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause normally that goes, those types of movies go to like Steven Spielberg, like a black woman can get the bid and make a blockbuster movie uh-huh. that everyone collectively chokes on. 
Did I like the script? No, it made no sense. <laughs> Did I think that the actors had the capacity for the language, the height language of the tats? No. But I saw two powerful women of color star and one powerful woman of color lead. And that, that is the movie. That is A Wrinkle in Time. That's what that movie's about for me. Uh, but the book, basically, you, there is an alternate universe where everyone is happy, but ultimately it's because they're the same and they're all on the rhythm. They all fit into the system. Mm-hmm. And nobody realizes that they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, they get the, the, their own beat um, massaged out of them through group mind. Oh, wow. And that, to me, is what I feel was UCB, like that addiction, that stage, that environment would temporarily, you'd get close to the brain, close to the heart, and it would temporarily massage away those things. And I luckily enough had, I don't, my ancestors were like, no, 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 no. Like, listen to me. We're very faint. We're very tiny, but listen, 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 listen. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. And I, that, that voice was very faint when I first started. And, and even because that voice was faint when I first started, I ended up in some relationships at the beginning that were not good. But they didn't, thankfully, they didn't last long because I was like, wait, this is weird. Like, these are abnormal, mm-hmm. ab- abnormalities. Like, and I trust that. And uh, yeah, I'm thankful for it because had I started UCB, you know, the moment I, in 2012 or something like that, I, I would, I would be a diehard. I know that. Mm-hmm. I know that. So I'm not, and it's, to me, it's not, I think a, there's a lot of focus on the people. There's a lot of focus on the people that love it there and that still believe in it and, and loved it as like, Oh, how could you have, or you're so stupid too. And again, that's a mistake. You're, you're looking at the wrong people. Mm-hmm. It's not about that. Mm-hmm. It's just like people who can't stop eating fast food or you know, it's like, why are you being like, oh, stop it. It's bad for you. Look at the company. The shit's addictive. Look what's in it. Look what's inside UCB. It's addictive. Why are you blaming people? Yeah. Yeah. Why are you not looking outside of the system that we're all in? Like who's, who's creating, who's controlling the system? Yeah. Right. And also I would dare say that I talked too much on a subject that I didn't directly experienced because I never was on a house team. So I do think there's something, there's a voice to be lended to the people who've actually gone up through UCB. They should be given platforms to really be talking about it officially. Mm -hmm. So I do recognize that and what everything I've just said. But I also think like your perspective and experience is very important too, because I think the people that Mm -hmm. made it onto a house team was very, very, very small. So there is also like this added um, extra experience of like not getting on the house team too. Like- yeah. And those poor, I, I know so many people five, seven times. What? Does that come? That's crazy. If you care about your community. You won't put them through that pain. Or like, what, what is that? Like why people should feel empowered not addicted mm-hmm. through education. You should feel empowered through education, not addicted. Mm-hmm. And if you're addicted, you're being taught the wrong things. 
Yeah. I maybe I shouldn't say addicted, but if I ever teach, my hope is that people feel empowered with the the information that I give them in knowing like I can go back as a touchstone and for guidance, but I can do this by myself. Good teaching, the teacher is invisible. Mm-hmm. It's you. Yeah. They're they're mostly there you. to like nudge you and show you where. Yeah, they're like little touchstones. Like if you're on a mushroom trip, they're like little touches of magic. They're like guides and it's invisible. True teaching is invisible. Man. Man, even bringing up shrooms though. Shrooms are shrooms are so fucking white. Psychedelics are so fucking white. Okay. Shrooms are not white. Molly, like Oh ugh. no, I'm sorry. I mean, um, did you see on Netflix um Have a Nice Trip? Yeah, yeah I saw it out of the corner of my eye. And it's part of the reason why I want to start my podcast and talk about plants and psychedelics because I'm so sick of white men being like, have you seen Fantastic Fungi? Oh my God. I've been on a mushroom trip. I've been microdosing for two months and I realized that my dad has hurt my feelings since I was five years old. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and we all knew that, David. We all knew that your feelings have been hurt from childhood. We all knew that. I'll tell you right now, every black woman that's ever encountered you, every black femme that's ever encountered you, we knew that and we didn't need the mushrooms. <laughs> and and just the fact that like the it, it gets told from the lens of like, white dude because like that's that's and total it. privilege that was all total privilege there was only one black person on that documentary there's only one black person and it was um i think it was asap rock i think he was the only one that was on there and he was only on asap rocky asap rocky um and maybe five minutes everyone else was white and almost all of them were comedians. i'm just sick of it i'm sick of it i'm sick of it mushrooms are sacred and she needs to be perfect like protected and that magic you're like just engaging it's also when i realize that i need to take a break from smoking weed when i feel like it just no longer becomes sacred or exciting mm-hmm. it's just like something that i'm doing it it's a spirit it's a whole and that's why it's so so much when you do it right because you're getting the whole mm-hmm. you're no longer able to live in the black and white in the constraints you are getting the whole and that's many worlds. That's many realities. And that should be treated as the sacred thing that it is. It is not, it's just, she has been engaged with so much. I, I don't want to say she, I, when I'm saying she, I'm, I understand. I don't want that. I need to work on that because I don't want it to be gendered you're engaging with a massive spirit that's all genders, all experiences. Mm -hmm. It is the whole. And it is sacred information. So for you to just be engaging, tapping into that power source willy-nilly without any sort of honor or respect, it dilutes the medicine and the magic. And that medicine and that magic is for the it's intended people the people of the earth the people of the ground like us mainly Q-pop. Mm-hmm. it's like you already have the whole you have the whole in this dimension and now you're raping us through another one and fucking it up again yet again like let's talk about the fact that this oh fuck there's power in saying names and i understand that i'm diluting my point by not remembering this woman's name however this town in Mexico where this practice, this ceremony originated, it's like illegal there. Its own people can't even take the medicine. 
ethobotany 101 for you white smart folks. There is proven science, medicine, and healing in the plants that grow around the people and the place that they're from is medicine of the land and for the people. And you have successfully taken it, commodified it, and made it into a party drug, thus coming up with Molly, LSD, because what you want is all the magic without the lesson. Again, you're taking away a piece of the pie. Like Molly is an imitation of shrooms. It's all the fun of shrooms. None of the information, because what shrooms are for is information. It's sacred. It's a practice. So when you do something like Molly, you're basically like looking at that spirit and saying, I'm going to take what I want from you and I'm not going to take any of the medicine that you're giving me. Like, I just, mm -mm, I know better than you. And for you to think that you know more than something that's been around since we were here, since before we were here, when we were just a twinkle in our mom's eye, that is a mistake. I've never, well, one, this makes me so excited for your podcast. Um, <laughs> I've never, never heard it spoken about like that. And it's now it's just like, how did I not realize that? Right. And there's a reason when people are like, oh, I partied so hard. I, I did a bunch of Molly and now there's a come down. Oh, the come down. I'm like, yeah, that's the revenge oh. of you not engaging in it sacredly. That's the revenge. And you're too stupid to realize that the plant at the end of the day is always going to get our way, whether or not you ingest directly from shrooms. But that hard ass come down after you take a bunch of Molly and, and think about ceremony. Think about practice. If you were doing shrooms in ceremony, the come down wouldn't be labeled the black and white, like depressive thing that it is. It would be understood as another sector of information. Mm -hmm. The discomfort. Mm -hmm. You now need to sit in this discomfort because this is where your growth happens. And people want to bypass it. Do you think it's possible to take molly sacredly and respect it or is because molly is a by definition uh just taking the fun of shrooms you can't take it with i i don't know i don't know and i i will i want to say that i will always say i don't know to that because i'm not going to label it good or bad like i'm not going to use those tools of supremacy i would say understand that and sit with that information mm -hmm. and that discomfort and that for you, like whatever happens is going to be information, you know, like you just have to ask yourself why, like, okay, now that I know this, why do I still want to do it? And I still think that there's medicine there again, which is why the plant is smart because then it's like, oh, well, I want to do things even though they're wrong because I'm about my comfort first. Why? Oh, because I feel like nobody else cares about me. Why? Because blah, blah, blah. blah. It's always going to be, you're always going to be getting information from her, whether or not you're taking her, or excuse me, from shrooms, whether or not you're <laughs> taking shrooms. And yeah, I just, yeah. This is really interesting. This is, this is a podcast. This is great. I can't wait. When? Yeah, I, it's definitely something I think about really often because I did Molly before I did shrooms. And both experiences were horrible oh, no. and also beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and when I did Molly, I 
was the come up to me was horrifying because I'd never done Molly before and it felt so out of control and I didn't understand. I was so scared because I was like, I don't understand what this high is. Mm -hmm. And I was in the DCM uh, VIP party space and I just remember feeling like I could feel that everyone was like lying about their state, if that makes any sense. Oh, 100%. I know exactly. And it felt insane to be in there. And again, it was an amplification of my own voice. Like, I'm like, the whole social construct of this VIP party space is elitist and weird. It's, it just, it feels weird. And that was amplified. And I uh, eventually made it out and I was able to walk with two really close friends of mine. And um, I had a wonderful time just walking and talking about ideas. And that, and that was amazing. And I had a friend that I had done the trip and she was really, really kind to me. And the next day was like, you're probably feeling a come down. Let me come over. We'll smoke a joint, watch TV and order food. And she was really lovely. Um, so I, I think then two months later, I went to Portland and I did shrooms and it was like a, um, I don't, I used to say uh, like a shaman experience, but I realized that that is not mine to label and that's not my word. Um, or my, uh, from what I know, my culture. I'm sure being black, I probably do have some indigenous heritage. I just don't know about it. Um, it was a transformative experience. And I will say that it began the moment I decided I was doing mushrooms. Not the moment I ingested it, but the moment I decided that I was going to do mushrooms. And it was absolutely the ego death that people talk about. Um, and that's when I had an understanding of um, your your filter of sorts. And inevitably, there will always be dirt and shit and, and, and mutt. And what society has done is lie to us that our filter sh- should always be clean and can always be clean if you just keep up and do the right things. Mm-hmm. Um, and like filters, they need to be changed out. Mm-hmm. They need to be renewed. And you're not mad at a filter for getting dirty. You don't get mad at your Brita <laughs> because you need to change the filter. Mm-hmm. It's been through all, all this experience. Um, and I recognized that when I was doing shrooms that I not only was like, refusing to acknowledge that my filter was dirty but also taking other people's shit and filtering it through me before I was taking care of myself first and that was with a family that I was babysitting for there was just so much going on in that family structure that was toxic that I absolutely was internalizing and it's crazy yeah Yeah, it's crazy how much we um, ignore it Mm-hmm. This is very interesting. I'm, I've only done Molly. I did Molly once. I'm very afraid mm-hmm. of doing shrooms or acid. Um, it's, I feel like it's very in vogue right now, kind of like what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but Well, I would say, like, 
you can do, I would say you can do mushrooms without ever, ever, ever having to take them. Can you elaborate on that? And get information. I mean, you're too scared to engage with the mushroom. You can read about psychedelic mushrooms and that gives them a voice just by you having more information that isn't from um, some white podcast (laughs) from Joe Rogan and his rapist friends. Um, Like you can... Yeah, you can engage without di- like eating it. Um, I also think that you can microdose, and there's a lot of power in micro microdosing. I have a tea that's on my like medicine altar mm-hmm. that is a tincture that I made with my lavender plant, my eucalyptus plant local Harlem honey, apple cider vinegar, cannabis, and then I put two mushroom caps and I just have left it alone. Mm -hmm. And I was making a passion flower tea, which is not passion flower, pea flower, which is, it's beautiful. The tea's like violet, violet, like purple. It's like nothing you've ever seen. And I just decided, okay, I'm just being called to engage. And I put a tiny little bit in my tea and, you know, I didn't feel anything really Mm -hmm. until I was dreaming and I was in this like beautiful forest and it felt like I was there. It felt like a vacation is the best way to explain the feeling. Mm -hmm. And I realized I was looking down at the ground and I was looking at flowers and mushrooms and all this life. and. I just knew like, oh, that's them. That's that's the mushrooms. Wow. And this is this is my trip, like this dream of absolute like just joy and rest in my sleep. And I was like, oh, okay, it's it it's not always, you know, you just engage in different ways. This is the first time shrooms have been explained to me where I've been like, oh, I would probably actually want to do this. Anytime someone else explained it to me, I've been like, absolutely not. No, no, no. I've been really interested in what it would look like to guide people like in my home. I feel like you'd be a good guide. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. uh, That, yeah, so stay tuned. (laughs) Um, I've been thinking about that a lot in terms of like healing work. Mm -hmm. Um, I also understand that when you get into the territory of healing, it becomes very colonized. And some people are not, they don't, they don't. And I myself struggle with the capacity of safety if there isn't some sort of cosine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really hesitate, but it is something that I think about often. Like, what what does this look like guided and where do I get that information from? And I don't want to discount my instinct. Mm -hmm. And my instinct is that the information is all here and the people that need to be guided and led through will just come to me Mm -hmm. and we can facilitate that way. It doesn't have to look like, hi guys, hi YouTube. Um, 
just so you know, click the link down below. I'm doing guided <laughs> shroom trips. They're $50 a trip. Like I'm, I'm really trying to stick to my rhythm and understand like, you don't know it will happen if, if the support of finances needs to be present. If the language of money needs to be present, it will appear and you don't need to write a script for it. Um, yeah. And thus far it has. That's, that's a huge sign. I feel like mm-hmm. it's amazing. And, I'll, and just like being aware of like the power of your rhythm too, I think is like a big uh, lesson. Right. I have one friend who is um, microdosing beautifully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And having a wonderful time. And I think that that's, that's powerful. And yeah, it's something that I, I, I want to make it very clear. I also don't engage edibly with them often mm-hmm. that, that uh, microdose of um, in my tea the other day, I hadn't done it. I haven't, I have not gone on a, uh, I don't want to say proper trip. I'm hesitating. Language is failing me right now because I'm getting to a level where it like doesn't exist. But um, (laughs) the last time I went on a proper trip was in 2018. Okay. So that's like a, that's a big chunk of time. Yeah, Yeah. It's not, yeah. It's not something that I do often and it's not something that I need to do often because I'm still processing the information that I got the whole pie that I got when I did it and I am starting to feel the call back again Mm -hmm. and I mean it's it's gonna happen I'm going back to Portland in August so it'll probably happen then yay um but yeah it's I believe in it I also believe in plants so I think it's it's easier for me to to speak on it because I talk to my plants all the time. So it makes sense to me that I'm like, yeah, of course there's tons of ancient, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Your face has like lit up since we started talking (laughs) about plants. Like I'm so excited for your podcast. Do you? Oh, I love them so much. Basically my working title right now is uh, PMS plant medicine spirit. And, um, not everybody that cycles bleeds and let's all like get in sync is like the tagline or whatever. And it would start with um, plant of the week, like just the plant that I'm kind of obsessed with and then medicine. So the way that I'm engaging with plants, that's like mid, like helping me like is the medicine. And then an interview with an interesting creative about how they engage with nature they engage with plant medicine um, and plant medicine can mean I'm vegan and here's why. Mm-hmm. Although that is treacherous for me. Vegans are very treacherous for me because a lot of times y'all just want to focus on animal cruelty, but not like the fact that it also has to do with white supremacy. So sometimes you vegans can keep it. <laughs> um, or like I smoke weed, like let's talk about it. Like, uh, And then we'll go forward with the medicine that we're all going to try and take of the week based on the conversation that we had before. So for instance, if I was to take the medicine from this conversation, it would be like empowerment of self, Mm -hmm. right? We're all going to focus on a better quality of life and not the jobs that then will make our quality of life better. I fucking love this. 
Right. It's perfect. So I thank you for saying that. I was like really insecure about it. But then I was like, my manager said this to me once and I was like, whoa. She said, because she was in a um, taking like a medicine class because we are kind of the same mind in terms of um, herbal medicine. And she was feeling really insecure about the medicine that she was creating. And she was saying things, your projects can and have to exist outside of your ego and your judgment because you have to allow them to become who they are and breathe and live. And like, what a terrible parent would you be if you prejudge this thing before it even existed based on your experience? Damn. So I, I was really feeling like judgmental at the outline of my podcast. And I was like, I can't take away that growth from my own project because I'm unwilling to release my idea until it's perfect to me Mm -hmm. out of the fear of being told I'm wrong. But again, that's how we like enslave ourselves and believing that things are right and wrong. And that's why I refuse to say whether or not wrinkle in time is good or bad. I'm like really starting to stick. I was for a while, I slipped off of it, but I spent about a month just refusing to say that show is bad. This show is good just refusing to say it and and describe it for like what I learned. And then I realized, oh my God, just about everything has value. And enlightenment is like just standing beside and getting information without critique. Like that's what enlightenment is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's fucking hard to maintain because sometimes I watch a show called The Floor is Lava and I want to scream that there's a writer's room for that. And this got funded and put on TV, but I can't stop watching it. Am I going to stop watching it? No. That show would be so good if there was a good host and writers. It would be so fucking good. It'd be so fucking good. But same, yeah, I watch it all. again, white mediocrity thriving. <laughs> also, to circle back to Kate. Thriving. To cir- oh, I know. To circle back to Kate, too, real quick. She's, at least my experience, is she's really good at, like, allowing her um, her talent or her podcast to trust their guts. And so if you're like, this is what my gut instinct is. Like, I want to call it this. This is the tagline. This is what I see. She'll be like, okay, like, let's go there. Right. Like even like, right. even in awkward sex, like obviously the show is mostly about like awkward sex and like and individual like experiences and dating and relationships. But once COVID hit and then once um, uh, there was a, a huge spotlight on like Black Lives Matter and there was a lot of talk about it. I was just like, well, I'm pivoting again. I'm pivoting like mm-hmm. this is I know this is what my title says. And she was like, yeah, let's do this. And so you get the space that you need to allow yourself to be creative without asking what's right or wrong. And at, le- at right. least that's like my experience with it so far. Well, I'm really excited. I don't I think that uh, in terms of her capacity, our working together will be, I think she's just going to help me like usher a pilot and then basically kind of like push me out to see, which I respect and understand. Mm-hmm. I Nothing is sexier to me than people understanding their capacity and being like, this is what it is. I'm like, oh my God, thank you so much. I know guessing. Uh, Love sometimes it. I wish I could do that better. Like, yes, okay. We're all on this journey together. So I'm interested to see what happens after the pilot. But I, yeah, I believe in it. And I also was really kind of stuck on this has to be funny. This has to be funny because I'm a comedian. So it has to be a funny podcast. Mm -mm. And I was like, first of all, I am funny. People will laugh because I am funny. Mm -hmm. And that's enough. And those are the worst podcasts too, that they're just trying to be funny and they're not listening to their guests or the guests aren't listening to their hosts and they're just waiting to be funny again. Like those are the fucking Where I feel like I'm in a room full of half ideas and joke pitches. I'm like, what's going, this bit has been going on for three minutes and I am not <laughs> laughing. What's happening? 
Yeah, those, they suck. What's happening? I'm not in on the joke. There's so many, like, I, um, I remember there's so many podcasts that I've been told by my white, straight white male friend comedians that I, yes, there are, I, I still have a few, <laughs> um, the podcasts that they've been like, oh my God, you gotta listen to it. Oh my God, so funny. And I've been like three episodes in, head in hand, like, rewinding trying to understand why the whole room erupted in laughter like oh did I miss something like literally uh, almost giving myself a chronic migraine trying to understand what is so good and it's it, nothing is like it's it's not there because there's no I, connection I'm like, I'm like wait I just I just feel like I'm witnessing ego and I'm being held hostage <laughs> yeah I, I know that people are like, oh, you know, comedy is subjective, totally, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, yeah, it is. But you still have a, you owe me as an audience member to bring me along. And you're not even doing that. I'm mm-hmm. 100% with you on this. Like, everything you're saying, I'm just like, yep. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you don't have to think I'm funny, but you don't get to leave me the fuck behind and hold me hostage. <laughs> like, I hate, I hate when comics heckle the audience for not laughing. It's like, that's your fault. Well, it's not even like, why do you think that the only measurement of success is if someone laughs and now you're holding them? They obviously want you to be good, bitch. They came to the show. They paid. You're holding them. Yeah, you're holding them hostage. And it's like, why can't we just all be in this uncomfortable experience together and grow from it? Like, and audiences are smart. Like, they, they look to you and they literally mirror your behavior. And if you start dragging them, not laughing and then getting like dangerous like it's their animalistic instinct is instantly to like save themselves and disassociate from you so the quickest way to further lose an audience is to hackle the audience for getting lost and i think it's a huge tell when i can when i feel um but it's it's like to me it's the difference between practice and and art it, it's like it's playing music and the audience is the instrument and you're not paying attention to your instrument. Like it is a conversation. It's, I think one of the only reasons why, like when I bomb, it's because I didn't, we didn't play together. I went up there and tried to make you listen to my music without, asking you what kind of music you like. If you're con- like, you know, it's a conversation. It's, it's art. It's art. And, and that's why it's like magic when you see it done so beautifully. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between like, uh, that's a di- the difference in experiences that leave an impression on me and experiences where I just kind of have a good time and, and laugh and, you know, go home and never think about it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It is, it's a conversation. Art is very active, and I don't think people understand that. Mm-hmm. And like comedy is very active, and that's why like things get stale, or there's like these half-made jokes or setups or punchlines. Uh, oh yeah, it's a conversation between you and the audience, and that it's different every time. And and sometimes there there are no laughs, but I still get like I don't know. I the best example I have one time I did a show at um, Club Coming mm-hmm. and the audience was very shy. They were very shy. 
they were very gentle, shy, like dee dee dee. It was raining outside. It was a gentle, shy day. They'd come the first three rows. They no 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 no. It's too close, <laughs> too close. I'm gonna get one drink. I have my drink. I'm sitting down. I'm here. This is a laugh, <laughs> and they were not laughing, but they were definitely like eye contact and being like in their mind, like, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm enjoying this. This is so funny. It's like watching TV, except they're there. This is funny. <laughs> like we also forget what, what a lot of people have been trained to do, which is like, we don't laugh. We just like immediately commodify our experience by putting it on Instagram or Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like we don't even take the time to experience laughter or like what's my instinct when I see something funny before I even laugh, I'm posting it mm-hmm. before I've even laughed about it. So I think that's worth acknowledging too. But um, every comic bombed because everyone was totally taken hostage by the silence. Mm-hmm. And was like, uh, everyone immediately was like, oh my God, I'm not hearing anything. And now I'm going to put headphones on. <sighs> And just sing, just sing as loud as I can. Like I'm in the shower, into the mic with my headphones in. And it was so hard to, it was so hard to watch. And I remember going up there and, and doing my set. And I, I only got one big laugh and it was by the grace of God and the, I received the information watching the other comics go up. And I was like, it's going to be uncomfortable on that mic. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to be surprising when you get up there and it's uncomfortable. So just have a funny conversation with yourself and like have a good time. And I ended up getting a huge laugh. And I think it's because they, they were like, okay, great. The focus is n- not on us. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> <laughs> funny. <laughs> like the laugh wasn't even loud. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was, it was almost like I went up there and I was like, okay, everyone, I know it's been weird. <laughs> it's been weird. I feel weird too. It's so weird. Okay. But we're here. Uh, I think this is funny. Do you think this is funny too? <laughs> okay. We both think that's funny. <laughs> so weird what the fuck are we doing ah (laughs) like you know it's a it's like a conversation yeah i mean it really is that's the best like that's like the best way to put it for sure yeah thank you so much thank you so much for listening again um thank you for listening to the rant below below before um I already struggle with words uh, sober, so doing this buzz is fun. And yeah, I'm going to leave you now. I will talk to you next week. Uh, Take care of yourselves. Wash your hands, wash your butts, and then wash your hands after you wash your butts. Close your toilet seat when you flush. Uh, If you didn't know that you should do that, you should probably do that. Um, Order a bidet. We're wasting toilet paper, and I'm saying that as someone that does not own a bidet um, and has actually had kind of only bad experiences with bidets, but I'll get through it. I'll work through it. It's fine. Guys, let's all be European. Let's all be European. 
I'm a pian, you're a pian. I, I'm done. Okay, bye. Like and subscribe.